0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Entrepreneur Mind Speak. I'm Lauren with Creme de Mente, a branding and packaging design agency. And
1: I'm here with my co host, Natalie. Hi, my name is Natalie. I'm the founder of Cloud Create, which is a web dev- development agency specializing in Shopify and e commerce. And uh, yeah, I'm here based in Tampa.
0: And today we would like to welcome Victor Olshansky and Scott Amster from Ziami Distillery. Uh, Welcome.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: So today they're going to be sharing with us a bunch of valuable information on starting an alcohol line or energy drink line. And we'd love to hear how both of you guys got into this business.
3: Uh, sure i'll uh, I'll start off on this question uh, so'm I'm, I'm the, uh, the the founder of Ziami distillery uh, we started the business in 2017 uh, with the the initial intent to uh, create a locally sourced contemporary rum for South Florida um, We uh, created the brand first with the desire that uh, eventually we were going to have our own, small batch a craft distillery here in South Florida, open to the public, et cetera. Uh, we uh, did our first batch of rum uh, with another local distillery starting in 2018. Uh, we opened our own distillery in 2019, uh, towards the end of 2019. And then in early 2020, just as we were hitting our stride, uh, COVID happened and we had to pivot uh, we did a few other things, uh, made a lot of hand sanitizer, and then coming out of that experience, we decided going forward, we wanted to focus in to- 100% on the production side of the business and leave the sales and marketing to other people. So mm-hmm. we transformed our business from a, a small neighborhood distillery and tasting room to a Uh, contract, manufacturing, and co-packing business uh, focused uh, primarily on alcohol products, uh, but we've since added a canning line and a range of non-alcoholic products as well uh, with a a specialty in energy drinks and uh, alternative products such as uh, cannabis and uh, kratom uh, and kava-based Uh,
1: seltzers and beverages amazing amazing what what um led you to decide to diversify that way a lot of the time i noticed people are you know they set out to make their one thing and they stick to that one thing did you always feel that you kind of had a flexible idea of how you were um gonna allow the business to progress or did opportunities kind of pop up to you
3: uh so for us, it was more about, uh, reacting to the, the reality of, uh, the market and, uh, the situation during the epidemic. Right. Um, we, we, we were really facing the decision of going out of business or figuring out some, some path forward. And, uh, for us, the, that initial path forward was, uh, in manufacturing hand sanitizer, um, Almost overnight, we grew from uh, four employees, most of whom were part-time, to upwards of 50 full-time employees operating uh, three shifts, uh, three shifts a day, 24-7, for for a period of about uh, upwards of two months, uh, just uh, producing, 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 and so... That, that experience basically taught us that we, we could handle the manufacturing side uh, pretty well. Uh, and, and we were actually better at managing that side of the business than the sales and marketing. Uh, so uh, coming out of the, the COVID uh, experience and, and also to, as the hand sanitizer market started to dwindle at, at the end of 2020, uh, there were still a lot of questions about uh, when bars and restaurants would reopen, how quickly we could relaunch the Ziami rum brand, uh, how much additional investment it would take in sales and marketing to relaunch the brand, versus you know continuing with with our proven strength, which was the manufacturing, um, and and so that that's how we we transitioned from a rum brand into a. Uh, a contract manufacturing uh, co-packing business.
1: That's wonderful. I love that you found your strength there and then just went all in on that. I think that's very. Even though you expanded in the product ranges, it's kind of like you niched down into what you felt your strength was.
3: Yes, and and uh, you know, as we may get into you know later in today's podcast, uh, the alcohol industry in the U.S. is very complex uh, and very complicated. Uh, and, and probably makes it, uh, more difficult than some other consumer industries to, to be good at brand marketing and manufacturing at the same time. Uh, so, so there's a good argument to be made for, for choosing one or the other. Uh, and you know, there, there's also ample opportunities with businesses like ours that If someone has an idea for a brand or for a product, they they can very well move forward with that product and get it to market without actually owning their own production facility.
1: And how do you feel that you kind of work with new small business owners when you meet them?
3: I'm going to turn a lot of this uh, conversation to Scott, who's our head of business development. And um, Scott Scott has these conversations day in and days day out with uh, a lot of our uh, prospective clients. He, he can speak very well uh, to how that comes. about.
2: Thank you very much. Um, at this time, over the last couple of years, uh, projects have come to us in all sorts of points of where they are, uh, from people not having any idea to how to put this together to uh, people who are already in production and already making uh, things happen. So when a small client comes to us, we really have to start from the very beginning, which are the two important parts, which is their marketing plan and really understanding the three-tier system of how the whole whole alcoholic beverage system works.
0: And can you talk to us a little bit more about the three-tier system?
2: (laughs) Okay, great. (laughs) <laughs> Actually, Victor, you want to take the three-tier system. You're really good at that one.
3: Sure. So, uh, the uh, in the United States, alcohol is very tightly regulated, and uh, a lot of the regulations date back to to the end of Prohibition, um, and are, are somewhat arcane. Uh, but uh, some some of the fundamental regulations that that came out of you know the, those early days. Um, is that uh, most of the rele- uh, most of the regulation is delegated from the federal government to the states, which means that each state can have regulations and requirements that are very different from neighboring states. Uh, so uh, it's important for uh, a brand owner to understand uh, well to, to decide, you know, what state they want to launch in and how they want to expand because there's different regulatory considerations for for each state they're going to be going into. Uh, One thing that's common across most states is is what we call this three-tier system where the government has basically designated that uh, producers and manufacturers in alcohol uh, cannot be connected or or co-owned by distributors and uh, there can be no common ownership between distributors and retailers and re- retailers include both like liquor stores and grocery and also bars and restaurants uh, so sometimes referred to as off-premise if you buy a, a bottle or, or a can and, and you don't consume it there um, and on-premise would be places where you consume the alcohol on premise like a bar or a restaurant so you've got uh, manufacturer suppliers, uh, which is where we fall in. Uh, you've got the distributors, and then you have the retailers. As a, a brand owner, or you know, as someone trying to create a brand and get it sold, you really need to be focused on the, the third tier, which is the, the, the retailer. You know, how is someone gonna buy my product at a bar or restaurant? they going to buy it at a liquor store how are they going to buy it how am i going to you know encourage them to buy it and how do i sell a story to the retailer that's convincing that hey you should have my product on the shelf because i'm going to ensure that it's going to get off the shelf very quickly so th- so that's kind of step one but you can't complete step one if you don't have a good relationship with the distributor in the middle, to get the product from me to that store. Over the years, the of those three tiers, the distribution tier is uh, the most consolidated and has the most leverage in the industry. So understanding who the distributors are in your market and how to work with those distributors is, is essential to be, being able to get your product from A to B. That first year dealing with the production side is actually the easiest of all three. Uh, We spent a lot of time with more inexperienced clients explaining this to them. You know, one of the things that's really helpful to a new brand starting out in this industry is having someone on your team with industry experience. You know, whether that person is a direct stakeholder, you know, or, or financial partner, or someone on an advisory board, it's going to go a long way towards ensuring long-term success.
1: You start working with people kind of right off the bat. Like if you have someone relatively new um, where you'll help them guide them in certain ways and kind of maintain that relationship, or do you have kind of a hard line where you're like, okay, get all of this ready and then come back to us?
2: Well, we go through that process with them from the very start. Because it's really important that they understand that, like Victor said, and it's really important that they know their target audience and who they're really trying to focus with on this brand. You're not going to be a brand for everybody, especially right out of the gate, and you really have to hone in on who you think you can sell your product to.
0: Besides them knowing their target audience, like, are there other things that people need to have ready when they come to you
2: the more they have ready the more we could speed up our process of getting them to the finish line which is a product in their hand but it all varies from client to client if we literally have to start from scratch of this is how it works and this is how you source things this is how you become with a you know flavor profile this is how it could look so it really depends on from client to client but yeah we have started from ground, level very low of them having no clue what's going on so
1: and do you have um specific formulations or private label options um that you really like to work with or are you quite open when it comes to that
2: uh we do both Um, we have a variety of flavors that we've already worked with and we feel comfortable with and we can let people taste it and try it and then maybe they'll have a different spin on it which isn't too complicated Uh, or we could start from scratch Uh, we have an in-house flavor scientist that we highly recommend his name is Marvin he does excellent work and we have a couple of other options as well so our, our goal is really to fit people with people they like to work with and give them options and not just say hey you know this didn't work and we're done and so it's been it's been working very well with us to give them options to give them some Some people want to own their recipes. Some people don't care. Some people have the ability for upfront costs. Some people don't. So we try to work with them best we can within their budget and what they're trying to accomplish. Do
0: you have um, a minimum order quantity?
2: We do. So for bottling, uh, 750 mLs is uh, three pallets, depending on the shape of the bottle. Ranges from anywhere from 600 to 720 bottles, which is roughly 1,800 to 2,100 bottles.
3: And that that's like 600 to 720 bottles on a pallet. So right. so that times 3 is is effectively our minimum. Yeah. Um, when it comes to canning, uh the minimum is a bit higher. Um it's uh, 30,000 12-ounce cans. Uh but we could split that that up in up to three flavors. Oh wow. Uh but the 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 cost expenditure ends up being uh, pretty pretty similar between 30,000 cans and, and 2,500 bottles.
1: What is that cost expenditure if you don't mind me asking? How much should someone think to budget for for their first run?
2: Scott? Yep, uh, so uh, we're looking at around $30,000 investment, 30, 35,000. Depends if we're doing uh, a formulation as well, there's an added cost to that. But that's typically where a client falls in. A uh, good marketing budget would probably be around a hundred thousand dollars, starting and on up to you know hundreds of thousands of dollars to really get a brand off the ground.
0: And um, would that hundred thousand be for like the first year? So you would say like a hundred thousand dollars per year? You would say?
3: I I would I would say a hundred thousand dollar minimum. Yeah, know, for, for
2: the year, person. Victor, or are you think it's six months? What? <laughs> She's asking you how long that 100000 will, will take them.
3: I mean, it, it depends on the size of the launch. But, you know, and, it, and, and we want to be very upfront with our clients because, you know, the, the last thing we want to do is rush into production and then get stuck with a bunch of products sitting around somewhere. Uh, because one of the other big challenges with the alcohol regulation is you can't just have you know pallets of alcohol sitting in your garage hmm. um and uh and you know you it, can't,
2: and you can't just start handing out pallets of alcohol because you want to get rid of it either so
3: yeah so so once something's like bottled you know and, and or canned in a finished product the only way it can leave our distillery is to go from us to a licensed distributor so if the brand owner hasn't thought that through doesn't have that in place you know is isn't ready to go to market when we're ready to go to production it it's just going to be stuck here and you know and and we don't want to be sitting on a bunch of someone else's product because it's not like we could resell it to someone else either it's 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 not that simple uh so you know we're We're very happy to push out our production timeline, you know, six, 12 months, if that's what someone needs to get their marketing and distribution plan in place.
0: Do you have primary container options? Can people actually come with their own if they have their own?
2: So we have a a selection of stock bottles that we work with about four or five different suppliers. Also have the capability of custom bottles in China and Mexico as well. Uh, the real key to coming up with a crazy concept or, you know, like uh, like a skull vodka that's the shape of a skeleton or something that's really cool is that it works on our production line, that it can go through the system of the rinser, the filler, uh, the corking. So that's where the challenges come in of, how creative you can get to working within the confines of the line system and production. But the answer is yes, we can create a completely custom bottle or you can go with a stock bottle as well. You can do uh, labels. We got screen printing capabilities. We even have these things called bottle emblems that are really cool that get stuck on the glass. So there's a lot of ability to create something new even though it's a stock bottle and really have the image and concept pop out.
3: And, and there's a lot of economies of scale in the packaging side of this industry. So it, depending on how, you know, the size of someone's budget, you know, or what their their production expectations are, you could do a lot more when, you know, you're looking to do 20,000 bottles versus 2,500 bottles. Um, And you may be able to do the same thing on the smaller order, but the cost per bottle is going to be so high, it just doesn't make sense.
1: Is that potentially one of the pitfalls that you see? um, Or are there other pitfalls that you've noticed that a lot of people run into or the same mistakes that you see happen over and over again in your industry?
2: Some of the pitfalls we see are people trying to get into this business having no clue what the three tier system is and how like how your product has to move through the chain. Other pitfalls are just sheer marketing um, challenges and and the cost of marketing. And then one of the biggest pitfalls that I cha- I face a lot is um, this is my grandmother's secret secret recipe that she spends an hour in the kitchen making and. During the holidays, everyone just loves it. It's amazing. And how do we put it into a bottle? And they think you can take that original natural recipe and make it cost effective, make it last in glass. And that's, you know, when you start to break that apart with people, they get all discouraged and unhappy. And well, that's not how she made it. Well, there's a reason why, you know, it's not on the shelves is because it, you know, it can't it can't be scalable. It's not cost effective. So those are Kind of the pitfalls we we run into when we get started with people.
3: There's a lot of workarounds. Um, you know, just to, to piggyback off of Scott here, um, we uh, you know we we work with some very good flavor developers. Who, if if someone brings us a sample of of something from their kitchen and they say, "Hey, we want to match this flavor," matching the flavor isn't that difficult. Hmm. Um, But if they say, hey, we want to match this flavor, we want to do it with, you know, 100% fresh fruit juice, and we want 24 months of shelf life, and we want it certified organic, and we want it gluten-free and dairy-free and this, that. And the other thing, that's where, you know, we got to be realistic and say, look, you know, we could do the flavor. Uh, We could do the flavor and have it be all natural that that's that that's not a big big bridge to cross but some of these other things there's real world considerations that well to do it that way you're only going to have two weeks of shelf life you know and and you're going to have to keep it in a cold chain from the point of production to the point of sale uh you know and that's going to add a lot of cost um you know, or you know, these are some of the other trade-offs to achieve what you
2: want. I I like to add to that as well. What we're facing, so people are taking the effort of hiring uh, very professional flavor houses and people that engineer um, formulas, but they're not asking the right questions when they're doing this. They're not asking them like how, like who can produce this for me or how scalable is this? And it really is. Um, tremendous disappointment when they come to us you know with this 14 ingredient you know recipe that was professionally done but there's no production house that's going to produce it for them so so they're they're discouraged they spent all this money they spent all this time and you know i don't i don't know where it's getting missed in the translation at some of the places but i guess they're not asking the right questions of all right. I, I need this formula, but I need it to be scalable and I need it to be uh be able to go into production.
1: Such a good point for people to think with. And and something that I feel like people that don't know anything, um, especially about distribution and production and storage and such like that. Um, even through my own business, so I deal with a lot of e-commerce companies, so anything food-related, they have to think with how is it being shipped, how is it being stored, is it going to be even good by the time that it gets to the store, and how long do people have to buy it, and these are all things that have to be really thought through from the very beginning of the business.
3: Okay, and I, I will say that uh, you know a lot, a lot of the things we're talking about, with the exception of the three-tier system, are applicable, applicable to uh, all beverage products, not, not just alcohol. You know, I hope, I hope people keep that in mind when they're uh, considering starting a beverage brand uh, because, you know, ultimately, no matter how, how great your dreams are, if you can't turn it into a profitable business, it, it, it's not going to go anywhere.
0: What would you say is the number one question people ask you?
2: You know, I'm talking to new uh, people, clients, and they're out there on a goose chase. I mean, they're spending six months, a year, two years trying to get this done, and and they're just not getting any traction. I don't know if people aren't disclosing information to them. So really, uh, the biggest question we get when people walk through our doors is like, how how do you get this done? How do you get what I'm trying to create to a product in their hands? And we've created kind of like a, a a playbook to fill in all those pieces. When they when they walk out of our door within twenty to thirty minutes, if they don't know how to get it done at this point, then it's just a lack of motivation or a lack of funds. Because you know we're basically laying this out of how to how to get it produced. But I can see if you don't have people like Victor and myself you know, handing this to you how it could get very frustrated, you know, where do you source glass, where do you get labels, corks, you know, who, who handles it? How do you fill it? So it's the things that Victor and I went through that was frustrating. And we're kind of just handing it to people. And I have people that look at us and say, like, what's the catch? You know, like, why are you telling us all this? Like, like, what's the gotcha? And the gotcha is, if I have you keep looking online, trying to figure out how to do this, you know, we're never going to get into production. You're never going to get to marketing. So let's let's pick up this pace. Let's let's streamline this out and let's get this going. I'm I, I'm not sure why other distillers are not being this vocal. The only thing I can come up with is maybe because they have their own brands that they're kind of in conflict and not disclosing all this information. Victor and I have have no brands in the market. We don't produce for you know we produce for everyone else. We don't produce anything under our name. And our goal is really to get you guys to, you know, to the finish line, to market and to sales. So
0: that's great that you create basically a blueprint for them to follow with all of the resources. I mean, I think a lot of times I see the same thing in my business that, you know, they get lost. You know, they're like, okay, what do I do next? They don't know the order of how things should go, and there's just a lot of information out there that I don't know confuses people. Yep. So that's amazing.
3: But but I, I do want to reiterate the, you know, for for someone starting a brand or or growing a brand or or trying to bring a product to market, the real legwork that you know, they need to do themselves, you know, or, or, you know, have the team in place is that sales and marketing piece. And, you know, we, we can talk them through the regulatory, you know, uh, challenges of the alcohol industry, but, but we can't, we can't do their sales and marketing. Uh, No, the complexities of production we will work through that with them. It's, it sounds complicated, but it's it's the easier part of the equation. So, you know, put in the effort up front. Think through the, the marketing piece. You know, before you go to a co-packer, you know, looking for production, and and you're going to be in a much better position than saying, oh, if I could only produce a product, if I could only get a prototype. You know, if I can only like, you know, get, get my grandmother's formula into a bottle, it's going to sell itself. I'm I'm sorry, but it's not going to sell itself. You got to sell it. Figure out how you're going to do that first, you know, then we'll help you put it in a bottle.
1: Do you usually recommend uh, marketing agencies or anything like that? Or do you really let the individual companies kind of sort that out for themselves and figure out all these details? or the, the the bigger part of their business in this case?
2: So, so for the production side, I have several vendors for every category uh, from corks to bottles to labels to screen printing. Uh, on the marketing side, we started to um, develop that a little bit and we kind of sh- shied away from it. But I think I am going to build like a five to 10, you know, preferred marketing people and and give them as an option to, you know, contact them and see if there's a value in in what that marketing team can do for them. So I do think, I do think it is something that we have to develop. We just haven't uh, gotten there yet.
1: So, yeah. That makes sense. I mean, again, for my industry, I see it as well. A lot of people, they come to me generally with a product already. So they're very excited about their product. They want to get it to everybody and they're ready to you know, have a beautiful website built. But I have to make sure that before they're, before they're even paying me, they have some idea of what they're going to do, even if it's not fully formulated, because just having a website these days is not going to make you have a ton of sales like maybe it did, you know, 20 years ago um, or 15 years ago when you could have a website and that was already attraction enough. Now you really have to have your marketing there. Um, so I always have to do the same and I have to either recommend them or just make sure that they have people in place that are ready to take on that responsibility.
0: I I don't have any other questions. Is there anything else you guys want to share that you think is pertinent for entrepreneurs to know?
3: Like we've been saying all along, start with a marketing plan first and then work backwards. If you're going into the alcohol industry specifically, try to get an experienced industry member
1: on your team. Awesome. That'll go a long way. Absolutely.
0: Well, thank you guys so much for being here today with us and sharing all this valuable information. And that wraps up another episode of Entrepreneur Mind Speak. Thank you so much, everybody. Bye. Bye.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank you.